You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Nope. Which came out in 2022 and was directed by Jordan Peele. It stars Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Yoon, Brandon Perea, Michael Wincott, Barbie Ferreira, and Keith David. The genre would be sci-fi horror western. Did you see a UFO in that cloud? Yep. Nope. I ain't never seen yep. nothing like this. Nope. Nope. Are you ready? Let's go, baby! Let's go! Here we go. Yep. Yep. There's something out here. Yep. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. Run! Holy hell. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. 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 This man. It's not what you think. Nope. Nope is a tense, strange, and altogether goofy genre hybrid with a heart. It's very much an homage and or tribute to 1970s Spielberg, and that you could make a case that it's equal parts Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Jaws, and 1941. Now, for anybody who has first-hand knowledge of those three films, here's one question that might be critical towards your enjoyment of this film. Whatever you might think of 1941 as a movie overall, because it has a pretty bad reputation. Do you think that maybe just one-third of it could have been a very fun movie? If your answer to that very question is not the title of this movie, then you might just dig this movie. Nope. Now, if you're someone who adores, as I do, both Jaws and Close Encounters, would it make this film a negative experience for you if it only went part, let's just say one-third, of the way towards creating either of those films, but not all the way? That's an even trickier question, and for me, it's one that I will admit I did struggle with after first seeing this movie in a theater. Because director Jordan Peele does not really commit to going full-on white-knuckle horror, nor sci-fi mystery, for the entire runtime here. Though he does get tantalizingly close for solid chunks of this movie. And it helps that he has a very strong cast. The amazing Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer star as OJ and Emerald Haywood a brother and sister who both grew up on a horse ranch just a little ways outside of Hollywood, a ranch which used to provide horses mainly for the movies and has fallen on hard times. Their father recently died under mysterious circumstances, and he left the ranch to be run by O.J., who has been running it on his own for the most part, until Emerald returns to town, and then upon trying to plan where to go next with things, those mysterious circumstances that led to their father's death return to the ranch. Also factoring into the story is Ricky, played by Stephen Yoon. He's a neighbor running a nearby theme park who has been buying the remaining horses from the Haywoods to use as part of his Western-themed shows that he has at his park. Ricky was also a child star on a 1990s sitcom who experienced something 
pretty shocking on the set of that show, which is teased throughout the first half of the film. Early on, we start to see and hear very strange things from the sky at the Haywood Ranch at night, also resulting in some missing horses. And that's pretty much the setup as brother and sister start to conspire as to how to get valuable footage of what they suspect might be UFOs causing these disturbances. Now, just from the setup alone, there are already hints of the emanating danger of Jaws, the otherworldly confusion of close encounters, and of course, the comically absurd World War II paranoia hijinks of 1941. Our two main protagonists are clearly in way over their heads from the get-go, which helps provide much of the comedy. Both Kaluuya and Palmer give strong, wildly divergent performances. Kaluuya is mostly internalized, while Palmer is continuously outspoken and boisterous. And those performances are a critical part of how this movie milks all of the comic, dramatic, and suspenseful possibilities from this scenario. Bro, what'd you see? Someone above the clouds. We saw it. It's big. They're mad. They want attention. Neither character is really given much in the way of monologuing nor soul-searching, but they are sufficiently well-drawn enough for us to both understand them and root for them. Peel has once again proven that he's pretty great with actors, especially drawing reliable performances for ordinary characters encountering extraordinary circumstances for the third movie in a row. And what Peel has made is a genre-defying blend that genuinely teases you at some critical points. I mean, there was one sequence in the first half where I found myself thinking momentarily, holy shit, this is really happening? It's so effectively shot, and with eerie sound design, I was almost jumping out of my seat at this moment. Until, well, I'll just leave it at that. Now, if I'm making Nope sound like some kind of tonal mishmash, gratefully, it is not. Because if there was one thing each of those three 70s Spielberg films that I referenced earlier had in common, it was a playful tone. One of my favorite moments in Close Encounters was always that scene when Richard Dreyfus was driving out in the country to check the power lines in the dark. He's lost, so he just stops his truck right in the middle of the road. All we could see are the front lights of other cars slowly coming from behind with his back to them, sitting in the front seat, fumbling around with a map and a flashlight. As we see one pair of headlights approach, he simply waves them to pass him as those lights simply drive to the left of his truck. Do you want me to disregard that Delano call? You're in the middle of the road, jackass. Can you tell me where cornbread is? Turkey! Then another set of headlights pulls up, even brighter, and he just waves them again to pass without even turning back. However, this time, the lights rise vertically behind the car, unbeknownst to him. Yep, you know what they are. Just an inventive moment which makes you both tense up and smile at the same time. And several of Nope's best moments are very much in that spirit. This is a film with at least four or five top-flight set pieces. Hoyt Van Hoytema, who has served as cinematographer for Christopher Nolan's recent films, most notably Dunkirk, he shoots everything crisply with a special emphasis on scale, considering that much of the action is taking place amidst large open spaces surrounded by mountains. And major props to Johnny Byrne and the rest of the sound crew for delivering what might be the most original sound design used for a big genre film like this in quite some time. 
our protagonists encounter some truly frightening stuff, which certainly does not sound of this world. And beyond that, it helps to portray not only the fierceness, but sheer terror that we witness from earthbound creatures, such as the many horses we see reacting to events on the ranch, along with a chimpanzee named Gordy. The Gordy stuff is a centerpiece of the movie, which really helps lay out its themes, but we'll get to that a bit later. Overall, Nope is a movie very much about the constant desire to both seek out and create spectacle, while also examining our continuous human compulsion towards attempting to control forces which are clearly not under our control. And it happens to be quite the fun watch. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Michael Abels returns to compose the score for this after doing the previous two Jordan Peele films. His score is quite effective, and it seems to best blend in with the piercing sound design during the most intense sequences of the movie. It almost doesn't feel like a conventional score at times, especially during one especially haunting track featuring scraping violins called, quote, Blood Rain, because, well, I'll just leave it at that. And this is not taking anything away from the score, but if I had to choose the one musical moment which I found the most memorable, it would be the usage of one particular 1980s synth-pop hit during a key sequence, roughly around the same portion of the film as that Blood Rain one. The song would be the eternally catchy Sunglasses at Night by Corey Hart from his first defense album in 1983. I watched this video for this song. Yep, I watched the video for this song many a time on MTV growing up, and you could say I'm kind of embarrassed with how well I can still recite all of the lyrics, no less. In the sequence, it's used in Nope, Things are getting quite hairy as we hear this song playing from the car radio of one particular character who has gotten caught amidst the madness of what's going on. And as a result, we get to comically hear this song being played at different speeds thanks to ongoing power issues with the car. Well, no matter the speed it's playing, it still remains a banger of a song after all these years. And that brings us to the next category, which would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. It's difficult to categorize any talent involved with this film as being wasted, but this film does feature the reemergence of two longtime genre veteran actors whom I just adore going back decades. And that would be Keith David, who plays the Haywood siblings' recently deceased father, Otis, and Michael Wincott, who plays the single-minded cinematographer enlisted by the Haywoods to get quality footage of whatever it is they are trying to capture on film. His name is Antlers Holst. Sure, why not? Well, I came down to earth and I hid in a tree. I said, Mr. Purple People Eater, don't eat me. Well, he looked at me and in a voice so gruff. He said, I wouldn't need you. You see, you're too tough. 
Since the early 80s, both of these guys have made their mark mostly in smaller roles, in it admittedly a lot of bigger films, so even though it's slightly disappointing that they don't receive more screen time here, it's not really a shock either. They have always both been adept at making the most with what they are given. You might remember Michael Wincott as the often scuzzy, gravelly-voiced villain-slash-henchman in many a movie, including Talk Radio, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, Strange Days, Alien Resurrection, and most notably as the memorable big boss villain of The Crow. In one key boardroom face-off scene in that movie, he almost outdoes the late Brandon Lee in the charisma department. And with equally impressive hair, no less. Whereas you might remember Keith David as the often scuzzy, baritone-voiced henchman-slash-antihero in many a movie, including Requiem for a Dream, previous episodes The Thing and Platoon, There's Something About Mary, The Nice Guys, Clockers, and maybe most notably in John Carpenter's They Live, where we watch him have this crazy extended back-alley brawl with Rowdy Piper, who was in the WWF at the time, about halfway through the movie. It really needs to be seen to be believed. Try these on. Look, you crazy mother. Put these on. Hey, stay away from me. I'm telling you, you dumb son of a bitch. I'm trying to save you and your family's life. You couldn't even save your own. I'm giving you a choice. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. Not this year. Okay. Considering that these two actors, David and Wincott, have been circling so much of the same type of pure genre content over the past 30 plus years, it's kind of amazing that they never appeared in the same movie. Until now. It was just great to see them both growling with a plum on the big screen again. Just give me more. And now the next category which would be trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now back to Gordy the chimpanzee. He plays a critical role in what is likely the standout sequence in the film. Now I don't really want to spoil what happens in this sequence, but I could say it is confidently on the level of true barn burners of horror sequences from movies like Alien or The Thing, both of which have been covered on this podcast. What very much struck me about this scene is not only how terrifying it is to witness, but how little is actually shown. It really helps demonstrate the level of confidence which Peel has achieved as a filmmaker just three films in. Now, I've heard a decent amount of criticism about this particular scene with regards to how early it is placed within the movie and how it doesn't actually connect to the overall narrative. Well, I respectfully disagree, as I feel that it not only helps set into motion one character's actions for the remainder of the film, but it also lays out the overall themes of Nope in a very effective manner. And that brings us to the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. As both the writer and director of this unique creation, the MVP is clearly Jordan Peele. With Nope, he is bouncing around genres a bit like the best of them, and it all serves the story that he's trying to tell. Lately, I've been hearing him compared more and more to John Carpenter. And while that comparison is not completely absurd, considering that Peel now has a strong three-movie track record, it's still too early to really tell, to really go there. But he is definitely among the best of an exciting recent crop of genre filmmakers with unique voices, including Alex Garland, Adam Wingard, and Leigh Whannell. 
Regardless of where Jordan Peele ranks among that crop, or any crop of directors for that matter, I cannot wait to see what he delivers next. You know, with this one, the the point I was... I, I, the point that I latched onto that, that really scared me was when I, I thought about how humans are addicted to spectacle. And we're addicted to spectacle to the point where it feels like we could sort of run off a cliff chasing it. Yeah. And once I started with air, I sort of, sort of working backwards and just trying to fill in with this crazy premise, just trying to chase that theme and 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 fill out the story from there and that's that's how we got nope my rating for nope is four and a half stars out of five this was just a kick to watch and as far as i'm concerned it's pretty comparable to his previous two films get out and us i hope more folks see it on the biggest screen possible We need more original mid-budget films for adults like this to succeed, amidst all the Minions, Marvels, and Mavericks that are currently dominating the movie marketplace. So yes, if you are looking to watch the movie Nope, it is currently now playing in theaters. And that ends another genre-defying review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Cinema.